When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to today's episode of Rao Pal Real Vision. You know, I've been wanting to speak to Kevin Rose for a long time. I think he was the first guest on the Tim Ferriss podcast, of which I used to listen to a lot and appeared on. But also, I've seen his journey into Web3. And my God, what a spectacular journey. The Proof Collective was genius. His move to, to Moonbird, right place, right time, right story. And I really want to see what he's building, how he thinks of the space, where it's all going, the weaknesses and the strengths of what's happening as well. So I'm super excited to speak to Kevin. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Raoul Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Kevin, fantastic to get you on Real Vision. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So um, before we kick off, as ever, I think the best thing to do is give yourself a bit of an introduction because you've got a great story. And also part of that, how the hell you got into Web3 as part of that yeah. journey? Because you were like Web2 king and then now you're in Web3. So I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, I mean, well, gosh, it depends on how far back you want to go. But, um, you know, I was I moved out to the Bay Area in 2000. I would say that was kind of the beginning of my career. I, I dropped out of college and caught the very tail end of Web 1.0. And then started building, uh, you know, it was software development, but also just doing some marketing stuff and almost kind of a Swiss army knife. I really didn't go as deep as I needed to on the engineering side to be a serious developer. And I realized very quickly it was much easier to work with my friends or to hire people to build my ideas than it was for me to memorize the syntax of some new language. And so uh, I started my real kind of career building little shareware apps and then eventually launched um, Dig, which was uh, my kind of entry into Web 2.0 back in 2004. Um, That kind of dovetailed into doing some angel investing, um, which I got very fortunate to be in the Bay Area at that time. So, you know, all the usual suspects I was able to angel invest in, which was great. Um, and then that led me into being a, becoming a professional investor, uh, you know, if, if initially at Google Ventures and then off at uh, True Ventures now. And then how the hell did Web3 come across? Were you one of the Wences Caceres early people or where did you where did you get into this? Yeah, well, um, it's weird. They call it Web3 now. I guess it's it's kind of finally taken uh, taken hold. But uh, yeah, that was Chris first- Dixon's piece of genius, right? Yeah, yeah, Dixon's uh, very good at that. Um, fantastic, uh, very wise, and can see around corners before a lot of other people can. Um, so I, I started, I think, I looked at this the other day, somebody asked me a very similar question, and I, my first tweets about Bitcoin were in 2011. 
So I was playing with some some pretty early clients back then and just kicking the tires just because it was floating around in the super geeky circles that I was hanging out in, you know, and just curious to what was going on. So uh, in 2013, I started doing investments uh, from Google Ventures uh, in companies like Ripple and some of the early cryptocurrencies that were out there. Um, and then more recently, really just started to see DeFi taking off here a few years ago and started... Uh, doing investments through True Ventures. So we've deployed about $100 million in capital over the last couple of years into uh, Web3 related startups. Um, that led me into all things NFTs. Actually, I should I should take a step back. I, I got into NFTs very much like I did crypto in that I didn't, I just thought it was something fun to play with. So I, you know, I, when the CryptoPunks came out, I, you know, got picked up 10 of them because they were $5 a piece and it was just fun to to see, you know, what this new project was all about. So none of that was knowledge or insight. It was just playing at the right place in the right time, you know, so <laughs> I, I can't take credit for, for that type of stuff. But I think that's a lot of what makes um, great investors and great entrepreneurs. It's, it's those people that want to tinker, those people that want to be constantly always playing. And so I was led into Web3 more or less because I like to play and I like to experiment and see what's new, what's, what's fresh. And there's no better frontier right now for experimentation and for completely flipping what's possible. Um, and it's a, it's a ton of blue ocean than, than Web3. So that's, that's why I'm here and that's why I'm building in the space. You know, I was recently at the Ledger event in Paris and there was everybody from Fuck Render to... Betty from Deadfellas to um, Ov from um, from uh, Rec Guy, all of the everybody was there. Plus there was music people. Plus there was fashion people. Plus there was all sorts. And you realise it's a magic moment. Mm -hmm. There's that moment in time, like you were in the Bay Area 2004. You know what that feels like. I was yes. like, for me, the benchmark of that was London in the late mid to late nineties. When mm -hmm. Oasis, Blur, Damien Hirst, you know, everything was happening all in one city, all at one right. time. And you know it's magic. It's everywhere. And it, it just feels like that now, right? It totally does. And yeah, I, I've been very lucky to be through, a, have been through a couple of those cycles. Like, you know, when in 2004, you could go to a meetup uh, or let's say mid 2005, you could go to a meetup and, you know, uh, when I meet up, I just say, you know, people getting together that are building software and startups at a bar in San Francisco. And, you know, you would talk to Jack Dorsey or Evan Williams would be there or, you know, Zuckerberg was more down in the, in the South. Uh, he, he was more in Palo Alto area, but it was, it was very easy to mingle and like bump into these people that were building uh, because there were no, the attention wasn't there yet. They weren't celebrities yet. So it was like everyone was just hanging out and there were, it turns out everyone's pretty normal. Everyone's like a normal human. <laughs> and I feel the same way about Web3. Like you go and it's very easy to go to any, any one of these events and just walk up to people and have a conversation, right? And it's like, it's, it's um, yes, he's famous at those, those little events, but it's not, it hasn't broken out yet the way I believe it will in the next couple of years, you know? I tell you, I don't know if you've come across a guy called Devesh Macken. Iconic. Oh, I know Devesh quite well. Yeah. yeah I know Devesh, a good friend of mine, because he was genius. It was like that 2002 period. You know, he joined Goldman, and I, I used to be at Goldman. Uh, everything falls apart. He's the last person left on that tech desk. So mm -hmm. he goes to San Francisco and hangs out in coffee shops, meets Zuckerberg, and, and then builds it from that. You know, just being at that moment in time, 
where you're one degree of separation. It only happens for brief periods. It's usually about two or three years, and then it disappears. Yes, yeah. Devesh was is is amazing, and and it built such a great business with iconic capital. Um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He's, he's so brilliant. So you were before we get into all of the, there's a lot of things to talk about, but you were at Google Ventures, and I know the Google Ventures team reasonably well as well. Why have Google still not moved in the space? I mean, I did a recent Google Talks for them. I don't know. I had like 800 people on the Web3 talk, and they still haven't done anything, and they keep losing people. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's a great question. I I, I think that when you um, are such a big business like that, and it's so clear that you've kind of become healthy and and well fed through your traditional ad models and the and the things that you're so used to that there's less um there's less drive to go and experiment like it was it was something that was very clear to me that when we got on the when I was at the Google campus and I was walking around and I'm you know I'm I'm holding an iPhone and I didn't leave my iPhone I stayed on it but there's so many people that were just drinking the Android Kool-Aid and they weren't really paying attention to what was happening outside of that echo chamber. And it really made for poor design decisions. And it was a very engineering led culture. And so it was, um, I don't know, it just didn't have the same creativity and, and polish that some of these, even, you know, the apples and the, and the, even the, the startups of the, the up and coming startups did. And they just didn't have the same appetite for risk. I feel um, once once they were that big, I mean, they they would always say that they would, and they would have a bunch of labs related projects. And I guess there were things like Google Glass and a few other things that when I was there that were were kind of swings. Uh, but I don't know. With Web three, it's just been something that I don't know that anyone's seen a practical application for that technology to anything that Google is touching right now. So I. I I know that on the investing side, I can tell you when we first started doing Web3 investments, and it wasn't called Web3, it was just cryptocurrency investments, that there was a lot of hesitation because when you're Google and you're investing in something, you don't want to be seen as investing something that is potentially a scam or a fraud. And so a lot of... Yeah, and it's impossible to tell an early stage crypto what the fuck is what. Right, exactly. And so there was a lot of hesitation like, hey, why are you rocking the boat here? Why do these investments? Like, this is going to look really poorly on you and us as a firm if we do, you know, a $20, $50 million investment into something that eventually blows up and it becomes a huge scam, right? So uh, people, turns out, don't want to risk their reputation and and career path sometimes uh, just for for a, a win on, on that side. But this kind of, the whole situation, you know, we'll come on to Facebook because Zuckerberg's actually pivoted his entire business around this whole idea somewhere. You know, we'll see how far in Web3, which is actually pretty brave of him. But what's really interesting about Google, both from the investment side and their business model, is it leaves massive blue sky for everybody else. It tells you that on the investment side, a lot of people are still too scared to do it because mm -hmm. they're worried about reputational risk, which means that we get better returns mm -hmm. because risk equals return if you get it right, you know, if you do it well enough. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, it leaves this business model wide open. This is, I think, what gets us all excited is seeing the incumbents completely paralyzed. You know, people like, you know, you know you're building a media company. Disney, it's really hard for them to do this. They've probably got, my guess is, they've probably got $2 trillion 
of tokenized cultural value. Oh, yes. But they can't do it. Not yet. Right, right. That's and, and we were we were. It's funny. Uh, recently, I was chatting with one of my colleagues, uh, Derek Edwards, about this, and we were talking about you know who is it that's going to take and unlock, like you said, Disney sitting on uh, several trillion in, in in tokenizable assets that they could turn into collectibles or other things that unlock access. Um, they have this old model that's that's doing and performing quite well for them as an organization. It's it's it is really hard for them to for for these old incumbents to kind of say, hey, when things are working, let's bet everything on this new on this new method. You know, and I think in some sense, it's probably a little bit easier for Zuckerberg to bet on VR, because if you're looking at Facebook's like total addressable market and how quickly they're growing, they could see things slowing down. They can, you know, buy growth, which is what they did with Instagram. And you can try and and you know buy TikTok or whatever, but that's that's just a a, a nasty cycle to get into. Um, you always have to keep feeding the social. You know, you have to pick up a new asset every couple of years because the other one gets stale and something new emerges. So that's a, that's a tough one. Or you can define a new market. You know, and so he's in a position where he has to go and find and define uh, a new market that is hopefully as big or bigger than than Facebook's existing market today. Um, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Um, but, you know, in terms of who's going to do it, I think it's going to be the startups that come in. It's like the artifacts of the world that went out and defined, you know, 3D collectible shoes. And the reason why Nike picked them up for, I don't know, it was $100 million plus dollars. Very wise acquisition on their part to go out and, and, you know, learn through and acquire that talent versus trying to grow it internally where it may not naturally be there, right? So I think we're going to see more of that um, uh, around the acquisition side as things start to grow. Uh, more traditional Fortune 500s are going to come in and say, hey, we realize now this is an important part of um, our business or will be or needs to be. And so let's go and buy and acquire to, to bring that talent in-house. And so uh, my bet would say that you'll see more acquisitions over the next couple of years by traditional companies. Yeah, I mean, I my thesis for the last couple of years was that culture had now become an asset class, which it, it kind of was with kind of Nike trainers and Adidas collectibles, that kind of stuff. And fashion always is that. But it become an asset class and culture and brands were always intangibles on a balance sheet. And they've now become tangibles with tokenization, which unlocks ridiculous value. So I actually co-founded a venture studio that just does that, that tokenizes the world's largest cultural communities, fashion, music, sports and entertainment, because there's a lot of giants. There's people like you building from the ground up, which I think we'll, we will build some giants somewhere in that space. Mm-hmm. But there's some really culturally relevant brands who can do it the other way around as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's the I think it's it's digitizing that culture for the first time in a meaningful way. Because if you think culture has has been an asset class for a long time, you know, you could say the very first X Men comic is a way to own part of that that, that history of Marvel and X Men, right? Or or, or baseball cards were, you know, there were lots of collectibles or, you know, even uh, you could say things like um, a, a limited edition handbag that sells for $50,000 or more, right? Like there's these like very limited drop things that have happened uh, and been manufactured. But this is a way uh, to create something that is has proven provenance, that is durable, indestructible, transferable, and hopefully uh, with royalties enabled allows for um, the artist or the creator to receive some of that upside, you know, uh, indefinitely. So 
it's it has a lot of additional benefits that we never had before on the digital side um, that are now cemented into the blockchain, which is just super exciting to me. And also, I love the fact that community has become the business model. It's a very different yes. way because you you both build it together and you participate together. Mm -hmm. Which was share the upside together. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. If you think Absolutely. about Facebook, right? The shareholders got rich and we all got monetized. And we right. got the utility essentially, and that was it. But here you've got um, everybody participating in the upside and you get the utility as part of that upside. That's really powerful as a kind of behavioral economics model because it's viral by definition almost. Yes, absolutely. You, you nailed it. Like it's, and it turns every single one of these holders of yours, if, if things are going well, into natural brand advocates that go out and they are your marketing and BD, uh, you know, extra heads. Like it's not to say you shouldn't have those positions internally as the organization, but they, they can go out and serve and, and create. Uh, uh, I've got... I've got a, a massive Moonbirds book sitting ten feet away from me that one of our uh, one of our fans created, and it's it's a hard bound like amazing book that they took all of our assets and created, and it's just like it's a it's a fantastic addition to our ecosystem and something that eventually we will. It's thank you, Mal. It's being handed to me right now, like this thing right here. So eventually, this thing will go to print, you know, and it's got just like beautiful assets all inside of it, and it's just like unbelievably created that someone did without even talking to us. And like, that's, that's powerful, right? Like that's, that's true, true fans coming through and extending a brand, working on your behalf and taking your assets and extending it in new and creative ways. And I don't know, to me that, uh, that feels special. It feels different. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, both of us have been on the Tim Ferriss podcast, me by, by uh, not being fair, by interviewing Tim and then getting on it, but you got on, you were the first ever guest. But I remember when I was building Real Vision, not knowing a fuck all about and building a company, you know, I came out of finance. And so I'd listen to Tim and people like you and think, okay, how do I do this? And one of the great episodes was Kevin Kelly, a thousand mm. tree fans. Yes. I don't think Kevin realized that that was really the launch of what web three would become was That's realizing right. that, well, even you with um, proof, it's a thousand true fans essentially. Mm -hmm. And from that you can scale because they yes. want to help. That number is is really no accident. I mean, isn't I had heard of a thousand true fans, and and we were trying to figure out what number we would launch the Proof Collective Pass with, and you know, um, wanted it to be something that was was large enough um, and maintainable, and when you held events, you could still you know have enough people show up. And there was a, there was a back and forth on what number we eventually landed on. But yeah, if you can nail that. And have a hundred truly engaged and connected and you know amazing advocates for what you're building. It's it's it is it is so powerful. And so I'm I'm a huge fan of that that model. So, talk me through starting proof. I mean, you know, it's been an enormous success and a great idea. Uh, basically, creating a community around, you know, what can we do together in this space? You know, how can we share ideas and uh, opportunities and that kind of stuff. What made you think about it, of doing it? Because it was slightly different to what anything else was happening at the time. It was more of a club. Yeah, I, you know, I had, I had seen that there was a need for high quality NFT information online at that time because a lot of the 
focus on NFTs had been around, well, and it still is today around, you know, how can we make that quick three to five X? How can I get in here, buy, sell, leave someone else with the bag? And I was like, well, there's, there's so much more going on here in terms of the creativity, the new artists entering the space that are defining new news, uh, new genres such as uh, glitch or generative art. And it was, it was clear that we needed a, um, an outlet to have high quality information. And so the, we launched with a podcast, uh, the Proof Podcast, that grew and just really exploded onto the scene. And then I was making a lot of relationships with artists that were coming on the show and thinking like, how can I take this audience that is along for this ride that believes in this art and connect them to these artists in an interesting way? And so, you know, when we launched the Proof Collective Pass, it was the promise was a, collect, a connection to artists. So if you go into the, into the, the Discord, you see many of those uh, blue chip artists being in there. And then also, you know, working with them to do limited edition drops or fun things that showcase their artwork and get it in front of this audience. So, um, you know, out of that was born, uh, born you know, Moonbirds uh, was birthed out of that. And so we threw that as well. So that was that, you know, again, you're writing, okay, you have done the similar kind of step. You start with a Genesis, get something really, um, I guess, you know, the whole Genesis idea and then build from that. Why a PFP, which is the opposite of what Proof Collective was? Yeah, well, we realized that as, as fun as the collective was and the, the club and the membership was, the graphic we used for that NFT was a membership card. And there's, there's no one in, in, on earth that wants to have, maybe except for the official American Express account or Visa or something, that wants to have a card as their, their icon on Twitter. And so, you know, we realized, hey, let's do something that um, we can give away to our members and, and, and let them um, be proud to represent as their kind of PFP to show that they're excited about proof and what we're building. Uh, we didn't really think it was going to, what happened next would, would, would have happened, which was just this insane amount of interest that, that we couldn't have predicted. So um, it was, the idea was let's build a fun utility-based PFP that we can do rewards and events and little fun things for over time. Um, but honestly, if I, before we had initially priced it, if you had asked me, I thought I, w I would have thought I would have tr traded it a couple ETH. I didn't think it would go as crazy as it did. So that was a big surprise to us. Does it not give you a terrifying sense of responsibility? I know I listened to you talking to Tim recently about this, the promised utility. Mm -hmm. And yes, look, you're trying to build a business. You're trying to build something bigger. But it's kind of terrifying, although as an entrepreneur, you kind of do that to your shareholders anyway. You have to promise them the future. But how do you think about that? Because you you have the direct relationship with a bunch of these people. Yeah. Who, you kind well, of now owe them utility and some magic somewhere. It's, a, it's especially tough because you have a little bit of every persona inside of your ecosystem, meaning that if you look at the holders of Moonbirds, many of them have held since day one and they've just kept those locked up. And if that's the case and you, if you either got it for free because you were a proof collective member uh, or you minted it at the mint price, you're still, you know, several times over uh, up. You remember it's still worth much more than what the, the initial, you know, mint price was. And that's always been the case since mint, which was, we were very fortunate to be in that position. Many projects drop underneath mint price and it's, 
it's it's horrible but that said we saw just an insane skyrocket which was unpredictable so we went from two and a half you know up to 40 some eth within you know like a week and a half or something it was something really <laughs> ridiculous or a couple of weeks in total and you know you had people buying in at those higher prices and so eventually when things come back to reality you have some people that are upside down you have some people that still believe in it want to hold for the long term and then you have some people that are somewhere in the middle that they're buying you know today or yesterday or you know so they have new faith in the project and so you get all these different types of stakeholders and people that are are along this this journey and this ride for, with, with you and when you meet and you go to a meetup you have people in these different positions that you run into right some people can be just super excited because they um you know purchased two more birds at mint and sold one for 25 eth or whatever and they're letting the next one ride i've heard that many times you know or you have someone that's really severely underwater and they probably you know this isn't the only project they're underwater and they went and they bought too many nfts and you know they kind of over indexed on it and they got caught up in the hype of it all and it's like i have a lot of uh you know sympathy for the that type of collector as well so you know, for us, the the very th the thing that we're just so so lucky is that we we raised some capital, we didn't overspend, we have you know plenty of money to go off and build for the next decade plus, and we've got a fantastic team. So you know, I, my main focus these days is we just have to go and build um, what we set out and intended to build, which is something very special and unique for the Moonbirds holders. And we're in, I would say, inning number one of what is a, a very long journey. Um, just because we're, it's, you know, it's been a year in inning number one doesn't mean that we'll be in the second inning this year. I think we're going to accelerate things quite a bit. And I think you're going to see us um, really, we've started to hire and ramp up so that we can accelerate a lot of these plans uh, and move faster. So this year is just going to be a year filled with fun surprises for the entire community. And I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm excited and feel very fortunate to be in this position and, and have the trust that we do with our collectors that are excited uh, to, to be with us on this journey. So it's, it's going to be fun. I also think there's a lot of value to a bear market. You actually get time to do something because in a bull market, everything's so frantic. Right. So as you said, you can, you get some time to go, okay, what do I want to do here? What do I want to deliver? And you can actually accelerate stuff. I'm really interested to see what 2023 and 2024 is like for the entire space, because so many of us have all had heads down building projects. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a Web3 team at Real Vision building out all sorts of things. And nobody sees it. And it's in these times where it feels right. dead. But anybody who's doing stuff knows that everybody's working really hard. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's tough because in a market where you're sideways or underwater or one project's going under and you know all these things are happening and if you see them and you're like oh crap like so and so just got hacked last week and this exchange is going away and all these things are happening if you don't hear anything from your favorite projects you you think like oh am i gonna is it, are they gonna lose like what's what's going on right and they don't realize that behind the scenes you know you're cranking away working on this stuff and you're doing it day in and day out and with if there's a gap in information, people can fill in that narrative any way they want. And if, and if, you know, if fear takes hold and, and they, they, you know, they call it the FUD where the fear, uncertainty and doubt comes in, um, it can snowball quickly, you know, and you have a discord and you have some people that are, 
that are, are, are worried about their financial future because they've invested in some of these collectibles. Like it's, it's real concern. So, you know, for us, it's, um, I, I think we realize that we need to be a little bit more transparent on how and when we're building. And then also just making sure that, yes, we have long-term things that we want to build over the next, you know, few months, but can we be consistently shipping and getting new stuff out there and in the hands ship early ship often and let people play um is kind of our, our mantra for this year so it's 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 going to be a lot of uh a lot of surprises uh, along the way and the other thing is it's really important to get people you know this from investing but a lot of people don't understand they're learning it for the first time time horizon mm. you know yeah once you get people to understand okay you're on this journey for five years come with us right. and we'll do the absolute best we can then you don't get that kind of disgruntlement in the Discord channel of what the fuck I haven't heard, I haven't seen a new drop in the last three weeks. Right. You guys aren't adding any value. You know? Yeah, and I think it's important to shed a little light on this. I mean, it, it, the the thing that you, you you have to realize if you're, you're listening to this and, and you're like, what, what's time horizon? What does it mean? It, it essentially, the best way to look at it is look at it through the lens of a, a venture capitalist. So a VC knows very well that when you make an investment in a startup in an early stage seed, like very, they're just getting going, you are not going to receive your capital back for likely between five to seven, sometimes closer to 10 years, right? And so that's because it turns out no matter how accelerated the space is, and Web3 is certainly a fast moving space, it takes time to build great businesses. And it's, you know, engineering efforts, as much as we'd like to speed things up, it still takes time to write code. And so for us, yes, like we, we we know that we're we're here to build this for the next decade plus. And um, but when the expectation is when airdrop and and you're looking at momentum based, it's it's hard to to get wrapped up and not to get wrapped up in that, right? And say, well, what have you delivered for me today? Right. And so that's that's a very common kind of um I think something that a lot of my investor friends that also invest in NFTs they're a lot more relaxed than say someone that has never been down that path before. Right. So if you haven't had to wait on the sidelines while your money's tied up for five years, you're not used to that. Whereas if you're, if you've been an investor or you're just a little bit more patient, uh, you know, and you've invested in index funds over the last decade, you know, that with enough time, good things happen. So yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging because that's it's on us though too to educate people and let them let them know what's going on. We can't just say, well, you should be a more experienced investor. So, uh, you know, time horizon like that that's not that's not going to help anyone. So, I think our our best um, the best thing that we can do here is really this year show people that we're building on their behalf and it's not just better tooling or a better website. It is actually real bigger projects that they can have uh, shared ownership in that is, is going to be pretty exciting. So that's all stuff uh, a few months away. What you're building, obviously, you sign a deal with UTA. That's very interesting. Um, and, you know, the, I'm seeing, you know, a few friends of mine, people like Tom Bilyeu, Gary V, you know, the people at Yuga are all also building media business in different ways. What's your vision here? Yeah, it's a it's a very hand wavy thing to go. Yeah, I'm going to build a media business, um, but you've obviously got a clear idea of what it is you want to do. What what is yeah. it that you want to do that you can give away? That's a good question. That's the 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 key part at the end there that you can give away. 
Well, that I, you can tell people, not give away yeah. for free. I didn't mean that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I know that I knew what you meant, but yeah, that's a good, good disclaimer there. <laughs> Make sure you say that one. Um, yes, I, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you what we've done well and where I think we failed. And what we've done well is, yes, it was great. We had a great launch, a great PFP. It's out there. Moon, Moonbirds, you know, it, it kind of really took over for a minute, a hot minute, and became a, a, a pretty big thing that, you know, outpaced any of our expectations. The, the question now is what's next? And so the obvious thing that we've talked about before is this idea of, of rolling out the next generation to that collection called Mythics. But the problem there is it's just yet another expansion of another PFP project, right? It's just a Which, bigger social graph. Bigger social graph. But what you're missing is what really ties the whole thing together. And the connective tissue that is the backbone that people can point to and say, ah, that's the bigger, meatier thing that they're going after. They're not just building PFPs. They're building something more expansive and exciting. And so I can tell you that I know of one other company that has done that well, which you can say Yuga has pointed and said, hey, what we're building is the other side, right? So that is our thing that we're pointing to that is going to be our backbone for all of our different collectibles. Uh, what we're defining and working on right now is, is that backbone. You know, so what is that backbone for us? So that a few months from now, when you think of Moonbirds, it's, yeah, that awesome PFP of those owls, but holy shit, there's a lot more to it than I thought, right? And so, and that can't just be another PFP drop. And it has to be something that isn't just a better website. So it's not about, hey, here's a better website. You all should be excited. It has to be something that people will find value in and be happy that they're, they're able to take part in. And that's pretty much all I can say without giving away too much. It's kind of terrifying, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you've got the first issue of, will anybody care what I'm doing? Okay, so you get people caring. I've got to do it all over again now. You, I look at Yuga and think, that's a big bet with the other side, right? I don't like gaming, but I own all of, you know, I've got the board Ape, I've got, you know, all of the Yuga assets, Punk and the whole lot. But I'm like, I don't really like gaming. They better deliver something else in that for somebody like me. Right. And that's a big bet. Again, it may not just be gaming, maybe just a metaverse experience and we're going to have music right. concerts in there or whatever. But are you not concerned that your big bet is the bet or do you try and hedge this by thinking, okay, how do I make different component parts of this? Yeah, I think that, let me think of the best way to, I have the answer in my head. I just don't know how much I can say before my team <laughs> decides to, to chop off my head. Um, I, I, I think that the, the best way to describe this is that if you build that connective tissue that I was talking about, that platform that I was talking about, um, then it enables you to do a bunch of things inside of it. And you don't have to be successful at every single one. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Grails uh, was released for proof that has been a really successful way to expose people to new art, to get them excited about coming in and minting uh, an artist. They, they have to play a guessing game because they don't know who the artists are until the, the mint reveal day. Um, there's been some real value that's been created there for the Proof Collective because you know, if you guessed right and you got one of the protoglyphs the, the, uh, from Larva Labs, you know, that thing's still worth over 20 ETH, right? So it's a really fun kind of adventure that brings in the best of art and collecting and, and kind of a treasure hunt and all those things. That's a fun little micro game for the Proof Collective, right? 
And so if Moonbirds has its platform, what can you do that is that version? And I'm not saying it should just be grails for Moonbirds, but what can you do for the Moonbirds that is plays well to that audience that they love, that they enjoy, that they come back to, that's repeatable, that adds value? And we have a bunch of ideas in that in that genre. So we've got some some tricks up our sleeve. And 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 I'm not I'm not saying that everything is you're right in like classic venture capitalists will tell you, you know, one in 10 startups actually succeed, right? So if if those are the odds, you have to create a framework that is nimble, that's fast, that's flexible, and that you can deploy into and try new things. And so- Or you wow. make the 10 different bets yourself. Right, exactly, exactly. So we have a lot of fun bets that we want to um, place. And uh, they're all focused, uh, at least with this, this, and I'm not talking about the stuff for creating proof collective because we have people actively working on that, but for with Moonbirds, um, it's clear to us that this year has to be about unveiling some of those big bets and about letting people know that we're more than just a PFP and giving them something meaty that they can really believe in and get excited about. So that's, that's our, that's our push there. And I'm, I'm confident in that. Like I'm, that's, that's what I love doing is dreaming up crazy ideas. Like I, I, I came up with Grails and, and, and some of these other little fun mechanics over the years that people have, you know, we had billions of people click the, the dig button back in the day. So it's like, it's, it's our billions of times that the button has been clicked. So, you know, it, that, uh, if we can, I, I think we, I still have a few left and I have a very creative team that has a, additional ones. So we're, we're, we're ready to go this year. This is going to be fun. Because we're looking at similar things at Real Vision. We, you know, we, we we really started as a financial media company, but we're moving into a platform play, and then building out the whole social graph. Where we started with a kind of a Genesis NFT, and then we started to do stuff. You know, much in the line. I think you know, you've done something that maybe is bigger than you actually realize with Proof, which is its crowdsource asset management, mm -hmm. like deal sharing. Right, the Flamingo Dab is something similar, but there's something some magic in that, and we're we're looking at that and I've actually got an asset management company that we're we're going to do that with but also you can then start creating different experiences for different people like there's a lot of people who want to be in trading competitions like there is fantasy uh, football well we can do the same with with financial markets mm -hmm. and it helps educate people they learn from each other they get a competition all that kind of stuff you know and eventually you get to use the token which is the the real vision token eventually when it when we get round to it will be the, the the kind of the glue that drives the whole thing um and again so we can take a lot of different bets the same way we're thinking about it we create a platform experiences which is the place you live your financial life and then create many of these and some of them will be cultish and small groups will love it and others will be much broader well that's what we hope anyway well i mean that's the, the all the the culture of experimentation you just have to foster internally so that people are they're excited to to build these so outside of what you're doing what really interests you when you're looking at different stuff, different ideas, where the space is going? So, you know, you, you've got your head down. You've already alluded to the fact that, you know, 2023 is a big year for you. So, you know, that's all happening. But the Kevin that's not part of all of that, what's what's interesting to you? What are you looking at? What's exciting? In the world of technology or just in, in life in general? Oh, I think first Web3, then technology, then life in general, because they're all three yeah. great questions, I think. So I, I think in, in Web3, it is, um, I believe that we're going to see NFTs tied to real world assets in a meaningful way um, in, in 
sometime this year, you're going to see some of that start to play out, which, cause I, I'm aware of a few projects that are being built that are pretty exciting. So that to me is, uh, it fixes a bunch of problems. Um, this idea of, you know, when you redeem something, you get it directly from the manufacturer, that value accrual can happen at the token level without actually having to hold the physical asset. Um, and it just, it makes things more efficient. So it just, it works on, on so many different fronts. And so I think of, you know, the tokenization of, uh, one project that I'm aware of is, you know, taking some high end wine and, and creating tokens out of it and letting the, all the accrual, if you're not drinking it happen at that token level. Um, and then, you know, it could be transferred or sold to someone else and redeemed and you get it directly, uh, proven provenance and, and no, you know, perfect storage and, and no issues whatsoever. So, there's a bunch of different industries that are going to embrace NFTs for that source of truth. So they know um, that something is real and legitimate. And uh, that's exciting for me uh, on the Web3 front. I'll tell you, just, just on that topic, really interesting. Uh, this giant family office in Australia uh, um, contacted me and said, hey, listen, I'm going to talk to you about what we're up to. And they own the largest distillery and drinks distribution business in Australia and Aussies like to drink. So it's big. And um, they're like, you know, we, we want to give you this NFT because we just want to experiment with this thing. I said, fine, what is it? And it's like, it's a piece of, it's an agave plantation in the Whitsundays. They can't call it tequila, but he said, you know, okay, you get this plot and the yield from that you get to have as high end, super high end um, agave spirit mm -hmm. and you can have it bottled and whatever. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You don't need to do this. You know, you're billionaires. You know, it's irrelevant to you. He goes, oh, we think we can disrupt the entire supply chain and inventory management system. So what we're really experimenting with is we could then sell it to restaurants in or hotels in China, the US, whatever, and people can overbuy, underbuy, scramble for, for um, inventory and liquidate inventory. And I'm like, okay, that's really clever. Yeah. Because it works with wine. It works with a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah, those ideas are just so much fun to watch. Uh, and I think this will be the year we see a lot of that 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 hard effort that has ha happened over the last year and change start to actually turn into real products, you know? So you were about to go on when I interrupted you, the next thing that's interesting to you. I think, was it outside of Web3? Was it technology in general? The the thing that I'm most concerned with on, on Web3 that I'll be paying attention to is just um, the royalty side of things. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. What do you think about this? Well, I, I believe that there's going to be enforcement at the smart contract level that is going to inevitably uh, pop up that will be, you know, uh, led by either artists or platforms, um, hopefully mostly artists that come in and say, actually part of purchasing this nft is signing up to to these terms which is the you know enabling of royalties because if not it's spotify all over again and they fucked the whole idea up in the first yeah we don't want artists to to, to miss out on that so uh, i i'm trying to figure out ways that we can be supportive and i think you'll see some of that stuff uh rolling out um over the next couple of months with uh other projects that are that are that i've seen working on these this type of tech so that I'm very excited for them to address and, and fix going forward. I think it's going to be huge. Um, I would say in technology in general, uh, there's 
there, I just, I wish I had more time to pay attention. I just was at CES and I didn't even have time to walk the convention floor. It was just like too busy focused on all things web three. So unfortunately, um, I don't have any, any fun sound bites there. Although the, sh the shock and awe moment of AI, we all knew it was coming. And then uh, a friend of mine started Stability AI, uh, which was, you know, Stability Diffusion was pretty amazing because it's open source and it's scaling fast. He was an old macro hedge fund guy like me, and it's bizarre that he started it, but he's done that. And then chat GPT, and everyone's like, oh, my God, the world is – I mean, the world literally changed last month. You can see it. It's crazy. How that'll be commercialized uh, is – I'm curious to see, but um... – it's it's certainly a beautiful technology demo right now. It's it's fun. Oh my god, yeah. I'm actually, you know, uh, I've been speaking to a few people in the space. I think it should be tokenized because if you are going to give it to the masses, like Emad's idea with stability is to get it to everybody because it's too important to leave it to Google or to Peter Thiel or whoever it is. Um, to Sam Altman is is you know he his idea was like we should IPO it everywhere in the world and let have regional versions of it. Because everybody needs the technology. There's no, you can't keep it in Silicon Valley or in London or wherever. It should be Nigeria and India and Pakistan. Everybody should have their own. And I'm like, you should just tokenize the whole network. Hmm. Because therefore, if you use the AI for the data, it's like we're all messing around on ChatGPT, you should just pay network fees in tokens. Yeah. And then everybody can participate because you're going to destroy a lot of jobs. So you need to solve for the universal basic income or universal basic equities, Yatsui calls it. I think there's there's something big in that. I'm yeah, like, I think oh, that will be viral. <laughs> yeah, the next five years is is going to certainly see AI hit the point of of disrupting, you know, low end design jobs, and and there's certain jobs that will will just go away because it'll be you know a couple clicks and anyone can can create whatever they want, you know. So it's uh it's a it's certainly challenging. It's 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 another wave of automation that's coming. And what about life in general? What's interesting you right now that, you know, this is, as you know, it's a bloody three, six, five, seven days a week, ridiculous, no sleep um, business in Web3. What do you do outside of it? I'm just trying to find that that balance. You know, I think it's, it's one of the things that um, I told myself this year is going to be putting in just a ton of effort and work on, on that front, but also, you know, really finding making sure that i take enough time to go out and 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 get as fit as i want to be uh cardiovascular shape wise and then also have the time to to sit and, and with myself a bit and and practice more of the the meditation stuff that i love but i think we've all said the same thing to ourselves right i think all of us around that week after christmas before new year were like okay we need to meditate we need to get some time off we need, <laughs> we need to go back to the gym Oh, for sure. And I, I say, I say that some version of that every single year, but I realize that like, um, none of this is letting up anytime soon. You know, we're going to be running hard in web three for, for a few years now. So knowing that's the case, we, we just can't neglect it. It's just too important. Right. So, um, I, I, I've been, I've been really good so far this year and, and this is going to be a big, a big year of, uh, of hopefully health transformation as well. Cause I, I kind of COVID COVID just kicked my ass a little bit. I was a little too lazy during COVID. I was the opposite. I got super lean. Did I was, you know, you, everyone went one way or the other. You either gained the COVID pounds or lost the COVID pounds. And I was in the loss group and others were in the gain group and everyone's still trying to 
find their find their balance. The other thing I think is, you know, the, as we live this more and more digital world, I was over at my house in Little Cayman. Little Cayman is this beautiful, completely empty island of 140 people, you know, reefs and sea and nature. And I realized how important nature is. In the end, it's just one of those balancing things. It's like automatic meditation. You just go out and, mm-hmm. you know, you're in LA now. Just the blue sky alone makes you feel just a little bit better and gives you a little more energy and a bit of vitamin D and then seeing a, just some, you know, nature, I think is, I think it's a really important thing. Nature and experiences, travel. Again, yes. it's become harder to travel because we're so busy and you can just do a Zoom call. No, sir. Four years true. ago, I would have had to come and see you and I had to fly to LA and bring a crew. And, you know, now we can just do all sorts of stuff and we're stopping it's hard to travel and go and have that great experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, it's a, I have my 10 year wedding anniversary coming up in March and um, we're definitely talking about where to go and do something fun. That is, you know, cause we've been kind of pent up the last couple few years and like, how can we do something crazy? So what are you, what are your plan? What are your plans? In my spare time, I'm like a travel advisor. I've been lucky enough to have been to like 110 countries and done everything. Well, my, my first love is, is certainly Japan. So I think oh, we're going to go back to Tokyo. I love, so. I love it. And March, perfect time of year, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you hopefully will probably catch the, the tail end of, or you might just land in the middle of cherry blossom, uh, depending on, on when, when you get there. But uh, yeah, it should be great. Fantastic. Well, listen, I wish you all the success. Sounds like you've got an amazingly exciting year coming up. Make sure you get some time off as well, because you don't want to burn yourself out. Hey, listen, it sounds like we're both busy. So the same goes to you. (laughs) Absolutely. And hopefully we'll meet up somewhere in the world somewhere because I think there's probably a lot to talk about. And we've got a lot of things in common, I think. That'd be fantastic. Kevin, fantastic to see you. Thanks for having me. The big takeaway from a conversation with Kevin is how focused he is on the big picture He kind of knows in his head, now he couldn't really talk about it, but he knows in his head what needs to be done, which is it is not about flipping NFTs for a profit. There is a space for that, but it's the opportunity to build a business from the ground up with the community collectively that has real significance, culturally, technologically speaking, and just something that is different and unique. And I really like the scale of his ambitions. It reminds me of Yuga Labs. And he's not copying a playbook either. He's thinking uniquely. A lot of people are copying him. I think really think he's the guy to watch here because he's figuring out stuff that other people haven't done yet. And I just, by that wry smile that he had halfway through that interview, I think he's got some tricks up his sleeve. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> 